0: JJ here with The Outer Value. This is episode 90 today, and I'm going to be talking about Seth Klarman, one of the most recognized value investors around today. I was a recent interview with him with Harvard Business School just a couple of days ago, so I was actually recorded in March, but it's uh, just been posted, I think. So I'm going to be talking about that. And today also, I'm going to be putting the first couple of minutes on Twitter instead of just uh, 30 seconds or so. And other short-form video platforms as well so if you're watching on there and you want to see the full episode click uh, one of the links to go to the full episode that'll be on the post right so Seth Klarman is from Baup- his company's Baupost group and he's uh, famous for his book the margin of safety as well which is from uh, another earlier value investor uh, Benjamin Graham, the margin's concept of the margin of safety. A lot of investors will know what that is already. And so he he's talking to Harvard Business School, which he's a graduate of Harvard Business School. And so this interview's an hour long. I'm just uh, I'm going to summarise and talk about the first half of it today because that's where that's where I'm up to. But it's a good it's an interesting interview considering the market conditions today. And everything that the questions that are asked—that's his book on the screen. If you're on video, on Spotify video or YouTube mainly, and other those other short form of videos, pro, uh, video platforms I, I mentioned, like Twitter and uh, other ones. But okay, so they ask about rising interest rates and inflation, and he says the best it's best to stick step, step back from the noise, step back from the noise, the market. What's happening right now? Well, this is back in March, I said, but it's still happening. It's got worse. So interest rates starting to move higher after being kept artificially low for a long time. He says it's going to be a jolt just to, to investors and to the system, and it will test it will test financial institutions. This higher inflation also is going to be a challenge, and we've got we've got a stock market that's one of the most expensive ever. He thinks. So some others and uh, dispute that. But he thinks it's uh the US market's one of the most expensive ever. There's been there's already been a lot of pain beneath beneath the indices, he says. This is back in March when innovation and emerging growth stocks had kind of crashed. He says a lot of stocks are down fifty, sixty percent or more. And that's kind of gone down to sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety percent even. Some are the profitless companies, SPACs, the biotechs, etc and uh He's concerned. Uh, he's also concerned about the great divides in American society. So, you know, talking about what what are the what are the problems at the moment that he sees, and he says this: the divides of different kinds. It's not just red, the red and blue politically. It's it's other or by location, north and south. It's different things, and of course, he talks about the Ukraine war, which started already then, and is con- concerned about the Ukraine war. Uh, It's a war of aggression It feels like a bit like the 1930s again. It's painful to watch and he hope it doesn't escalate He mentioned nuclear and things like that so he, he talked briefly about tech disruption saying that that's benefiting some companies and that some companies will get left behind and There's no alternative to is there any alternative to US investing he was asked Tina There is no alternative is the U.S. self-destructing for polarization, or is it, or will it be, will it still be a safe haven? So talking about how U.S. has been a good environment for investing for a long time, and so uh, he says, there the U.S. has faced a, a larger problems in its history than there are now, but it always, uh, it always looks bad to every new generation. It looks worse than it was before. Uh, you know, if you think about the depression and World War Two, it's been through tougher times, and there's got always a kind of nostalgia at looking back. But it wasn't always so great. I guess you could say, you know, talking about Trump's uh, "Make America Great Again," but you know, it wasn't so great for most people. <laughs> if you think about civil rights, racism, etc., was it really that great back? That great for a certain for a certain uh, group of people, perhaps there's a nostalgia in looking back okay where the u.s is blessed to have large oceans for safeties thinking about war you know the oceans on both sides and uh above and below neighbors unlikely to kind of invade or cause cause problems to the u.s uh so uh, the problems the u.s is facing it has remark it has a ha- it has had a, rem- a rem- remarkable democracy and it's been a good system and an engine of prosperity like silicon valley Boston, New York, the the kind of engines of creation of crea- of job creation and economic activity, and level of co- college education, university education in the U.S. is pretty good. Uh, but he said we have short-term. It's not all great. We have short-term political think- thinking. Not we haven't invested in infrastructure properly. Civil rights have been slow to change. Other things have been kind of slow to change because the democratic process, uh, and. And so the US still has significant problems to solve. Uh, and he talked he asked us about being US having the reserve currency. So the headline the the heading reserve currencies in the New World Order. and the world order, not the new world order. So he says Japan like other currencies have problems, there's problems with the yen. US has the advantage of being the world's reserve currency and he said thinks that's unlikely to change soon. It's hard to imagine accepting uh, Chinese currency or crypto. It's just too much, there's too much uncertainty. And the US isn't perfect, but a good protector of the liberal, has been a good protector of the liberal world order. And there we get to the investing stage. Uh, we, are markets efficient in 2021, he was asked. And so this is kind of a leading question because value investing is uh Unlikely to, and a value investors unlikely to say that markets are efficient because, uh, That investors make their money out of markets being inefficient for the most part, or a big, uh, you know, a certain chunk anyway. So he talked about, he mentioned uh, Warren Buffett's article, uh, the super investors of Graham and Doddsville, and he said there was a group of investors there, uh, and also referring to. Uh, Benjamin Graham's book, Security Analysis, which was kind of one of the first investing books about kind of how to invest, but it was he said it's focused on that environment way back decades. Uh, about you know basically buying a value investing being buying a dollar for fifty cents, looking for opportunities that you can buy a dollar for fifty cents and then it'll re-rate to a dollar and you'll make that. So a lot, a lot has happened since since those days and parts of it don't apply as they did thirty or forty years ago, and the followers of Graham outperformed the market, but had different implementations of what they they read. And Buffett's point, Warren Buffett's point, was that the efficient market theory was elegant, was elegant, but not applicable to reality. Uh, in the educational community, including Harvard, moving more into behavioral economics and and behavioral finance, he said he applauds that. So. And that's the recognition that we're not always rational actors. That investors aren't, aren't always rational. And you know, recently is a good uh, good example of that. We respond weirdly to certain certain pieces of information. Uh, people people anchor. Uh, they get the number in their head and they just hold on to that. People have a way of to remember what happened recently. And they over worry about the same thing happening again, whether it be say nine nine eleven a terrorist attack or a pandemic. So we worry worry about the last thing that's happened that it will happen again, but it's likely to be something else. There are many behavioral biases, and we should expect we should not expect people to to be rational at all times. And he referenced the book by Daniel Kahneman called Thinking Fast and Slow, which I haven't read. Which I might read; it'd be interesting because in many ways it's the best business book. Uh, better invest the best investing book ever written even though it's not really about business or investing because it tells us about ourselves and so i've i've bolded this highlighted this next thing that he says i thought was important a significant part of my philosophy has to do with managing our own psychology markets are about the psychology of others when When they are panicking, when they are, and when they are greedy, when when the people in the market are participants in the market, but you have to have, but you have, but you have those same flaws, or you or those same potential flaws, and managing your portfolio in a way that doesn't have you panicking, that doesn't leave you overexposed to greed. If you can just rule these extremes out, you're going to navigate the markets really well. If we find out how things really work like that, We will, then we might have a chance to find out some inefficiencies in the market. So he says, how do you find, he was asked, how do you find these investment opportunities? What's their process to finding the, the inefficiencies and the opportunities? So he says, so there are inefficiencies. How do you find them? Know more, how do you know more than anybody else? He was asked. Your investments are, uh, your investments abroad. What are you, what, what are you an expert on? Expert on, and how are you, how you get, how do you get the competence? He was asked, and he answered. There are lots of ways to develop an edge as an investor. One of the one of the ways is deep fundamental knowledge, and I have incredible respect for those who who develop deep deep knowledge in one who go deep in one area, like doctors studying biotechs, for instance. But it's not the only inefficiency to exploit. The inefficiency might be informational, but markets are inefficient partly because of human nature. Greed and fear and greedy people get panicked. In some cases, that's legitimate, like leveraging the portfolio with lots of margin and getting a margin call. <laughs> that's a panic. There are other constraints on investors that also create inefficiencies. The last asset phenomenon, uh like funds. Want to book a game they've made money on to get paid on an asset and move on to the next, and that's not necessarily being the best thing to do. We also and they look at things like that. They look for things inefficiencies like that. Uh, we also do fundamental work and we dig very deep. Our approach is let's look at let's look a mile wide. Let's look at everything we can possibly figure out. And then we find something that might be a bargain and inefficient pricing then we go a mile deep the so the silo effect also you might know everything about say 15 biotechs or in that sector but the best thing might not be the best thing in that sector might not be as good as something else in another area so the silo effect can hamstring investors if i had to describe one way of thinking about our portfolio We look between the silos, we look for cracks, for things leaking out, and we look for things that can't be easily siloed, there are, there, there are few competitors in those, and if you look for one, and if I look for one thing, it's lack of competition, so he's looking, they're looking for where where other people aren't, there's no competition, I mean you could say that, you know, there's a lot of information in the market, there's a lot of, uh, Everybody's got access to everything you could say, so they're looking for areas where people aren't looking and for opportunities that aren't being looked at. Sometimes people are not thinking about the downside, he says, also. Most investors on Wall Street are, are uh, tend to be bullish. Most research reports are buy reports, not sell reports. Most individuals don't sell short. There's a bias in going long. Not that he's recommending going short here by the way there's nothing wrong with that except that at times that people are not thinking about the downside at all so i'm i recommend a balanced approach if you don't think about every investment as having a margin of safety a term i stole from ben graham and it's and it's the name of my book he says margin of safety safety simply means you buy at a discount you have room f- forever so you have room for error misjudgment, bad luck, because things happen in the world. Things happen in investing. Yeah, and that's, I've seen that. This is me talking now. I've seen that recently, you know, like with uh, people buying like the innovation stocks and really high multiples and just thinking the most optimistically about, you know, nothing can go wrong. That's a dangerous ground, I think. So Climan says, in Buffett's parlance, if you build a bridge, you might plan to be driving a certain kind of truck over it, but you build it so it can be so it can handle five times as much weight as that, just in case that's what you should do in in an investment with investment. We never lose sight of the downside when others might be being a, when others might be looking at flashy growth stocks at, at very high multiples we're probably be looking at more sedate investments will make less maybe maybe not and we'll protect the downside risk which of course is what happened in the last couple of years when uh, those stocks went very very high high multiples like 30 50 times sales he would have been looking elsewhere but I noticed in his recent portfolio he has been actually looking we'll just look at that in a minute to finish off he says now some of those investments are down 60 70 80 percent Ours are we feel completely solid they have enormous. They had enormous downside risk. Losing your money is a real challenge, but because if you because it's very very hard to make it back. Always think about not getting too too far over your skis. So I'm just going to look at here on Data Roma. We can see the Claman Balpost Group's portfolio, fifty three stocks, which is quite a lot for a value investor, and portfolio worth nine over nine billion. And uh the biggest position at the moment is seems to be Liberty Global, fifteen point four three percent. That's a big position. Uh and it's really the top few that are the biggest Intel's at nine point oh seven, Corvo, C O R V O, is ten nine percent. Um V s VSAT F S ticket F S V SAT is 8.77, Google, 7.52%, I think that's relatively new, and they added 8.68 in the last quarter. Five, uh, five servers, 4. uh, 4.46. So if we look at the activity just in the last quarter, because that's most interesting. They have added things like, they have new buy was grey television, Liberty Sirius, they, Sirius XM they added two. Uh, Dropbox, they added thirty point five cent. That's one of the ones that would have dropped a lot, I think. Haven't I checked that, but I'd say so. Five they added thirty percent. So that and uh, Encompass Health Corp, they added eighteen. That's the biggest position they added to, or the biggest amount, three hundred eighteen percent. But it's only you know, not even two percent. The portfolio, Iron Source, was ninety eight percent. They added to it, but it's only point two one. So they're, you know, not not the big name, the uh, most obvious things there. Anyway, I'm going to go through next time, or maybe not. I don't know if it's the next the next actual episode, but soon in the future I will add, I will finish the Seth Klein interview after uh, some having a look at this. So if you found any value in this, like and subscribe, wherever you're either watching this on video or audio, whatever that you the app, or network allows and join me on twitter at the art of value okay see you next time